0: Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaVerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you.
1: Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaVerge on Faith Radio. It's
0: Good morning. Good morning. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thank you so much for including me in your day. It is, it's a privilege. Your time is a gift, and so thank you so much for um, choosing to share this time together today. Fifty million people across the United States are going to see temperatures over a hundred degrees this week, and so um, this is my little list of let's pray the news today. Um, we can't affect the temperature, but we certainly can affect the temperature. Um, of our relationships and um, how hot headed we get in relationship to the heat. It does affect, um, you know, it affects us physically. It also affects us uh, emotionally and mentally. And so let's be people who guard against all the negative effects of overwhelming heat. And let's open our churches and our, and our doors to people who need um, respite and relief and, and all those things. Like let's use it as an opportunity to, um, to be good neighbors and to, um, offer hospitality. Smoke from more than a thousand fires burning across Canada is noticeably drifting across the United States. Um, that may mean that uh the the air where you are today, particularly in Chicago, Minneapolis, and Detroit, um uh is really literally hard to breathe. And so um again, let's be sure that folks uh can can get inside um, where hopefully the air is easier to breathe and then let's be people who you know provide a fresh wind of the spirit in the midst of all of it. Um let's be praying for what's going on at the southern border, particularly the border of uh Texas and Mexico. The uh uh Texas governor Greg Abbott uh is now being sued by um the Justice Department of the United States um over these floating barriers that Um, his administration has constructed in the middle of the Rio Grande. And so, um, you know, let's be mindful of these precious people, the precious nature of people seeking a better life. I know that um, we want to have real borders, and we want our borders to be secure. Um, We also need to recognize the very precious nature of the people that we're talking about. Um, So there's a lot going on there, and I just, we want there to be wisdom, and we want Um, we want grace to prevail. Uh, If you've been watching the international news at all, then you know that uh, Israel, in Israel, they have approved a judicial reform. The legislature in Israel has voted to proceed with a, uh, with a law that would limit their Supreme Court's power to overrule government actions. Um, There's a lot of back and forth in relationship to this. There are protests. Um, It, it is a very contentious situation Here's what I would like for us to be mindful of in the midst of all of this. Um, whatever else this is, it is certainly a reminder that the modern state of Israel, that the modern secular state of Israel is not equivalent to the biblical nation of Israel under the rule of God. You wouldn't be having these kinds of um, democratic processes. Israel is a, compl- it's a complex State it is a modern democratic Jewish, yes, but not exclusively so democracy, not a theocracy and so I actually think that remembering what um, what governs Israel biblically is different than what governs the modern state of Israel today. Uh, one of my favorite conversation partners uh, on the topic of Israel is Robert Nicholson. He is the president of the Philos Project. That sounds familiar to you because we have Luke Moon uh, here on a regular basis to talk with us about headlines around the world. Um, but we're going to specifically talk with Robert today about a religious cleansing of Christians underway in Armenia. You didn't even know that was happening, did you? Uh, he's going to brief us in next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Robert Nicholson is joining us. He's the president of the Philos Project. You can find uh, Robert at philosproject.org. Good morning, Robert.
1: Good morning, Carmen. How are you?
0: Um, I am well. These are um, this is a really serious topic that you um, you know so much about and are able to help us understand. And let me just confess to you: most people listening right now would not be able to even find on a map. Um, The region of the world we're going to talk about, let alone uh, this specific population of Armenian Christians. So, can you, who are the Armenian Christians? Where are they? And what is happening?
1: Well, thank you for that question. It's true. Most people don't know what's happening in this part of the world, much less where to find it. Um, The Armenians are a very ancient people. You were talking about Israel about Jews. Armenians and Jews are are very similar and that they exist in our records for over 2,000 years, uh, going back to very, very ancient times. They live around Mount Ararat, and we are on My Faith Radio. I assume that most people know about Noah's Ark. That was the place where Noah's Ark landed, and everybody got off, and the human family spread out around the world. Mount Ararat is sort of the central icon of the Armenian people, so we're talking about just south of Russia, east of Turkey, north of Iraq. There's this little area called the Caucasus Mountains. The Armenians uh, live there. They're the first Christian nation, the first nation to convert as a whole to Christianity in 301. This is before the Roman Empire uh, was uh, accepted Christianity, and they've been Christian uh, and preserving Christianity in some pretty tough circumstances ever since. And today is no different. They are uh, they're facing some real challenges from their neighbors, Turkey on one side and this other Turkic country called Azerbaijan on the other side.
0: Okay, and so what is happening? Um, What what is happening from Turkey's side? What is happening from Azerbaijan's side? Um, Because it's 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 really like a vice grip.
1: It is, and and to set the stage a bit, it's important to point out what happened a little over a hundred years ago. Some people have heard about the Armenian genocide. This was uh, the genocide that Hitler cited when he was planning his annihilation of the Jews. He said to his advisors, who talks about the Armenians these days? This is just a few decades after the Turks had killed uh, over a million uh, uh, Armenians and, and other Christians. And, uh, after that, the Armenians, which had been much more widespread in the area where they now live, were kind of shrunken down into this little rump state and then almost immediately conquered by the Soviet union and forced to be communist for, you know, however many decades right now they have a tiny country called Armenia. It's an independent state, but the, uh, the, uh, There is another little territory right beside Armenia that's kind of stuck in Azerbaijan in which 120,000 Armenian Christians uh, are living. And right now it's those Christians in particular who are facing uh, really the threat of another genocide. These people have been blockaded for eight months by Mm. this country of Azerbaijan, which is, by the way, I should say a U.S. ally, as is Turkey which is working very hard to help Azerbaijan squeeze these Christians out of this piece of land.
0: Can they leave? I mean, I think that would be the first question. Like, The word blockade sounds to me like they cannot leave. And yet, if the goal is to get them to leave, or is that the goal, to get them to leave? The goal is to get them
1: to leave. Absolutely. Oh, yes. Oh, they can leave. Leaving is is actually encouraged. Please do, Mm -hmm. says Ilham Aliyev, the president of Azerbaijan. But uh, for things to come in—food, uh, mm-hmm. supplies, water, medical aid—they're, uh, you know, they're, these things are all blocked. The International Red Cross, which was able to get through for a time, is also now blocked. And this is something that Azerbaijan is doing while the world is distracted by what's happening in Ukraine, not that far mm-hmm. away, and he's taking advantage uh, of the situation there, just as he did. During the U.S. presidential election in 2020, while we were all distracted fighting about Trump and this and that, he mounted an offensive against these Armenian Christians and took most of the land that they had. Now he's blockading them in what little land they have left. Yes, the goal is to squeeze them until they leave so that he can basically build a road from his country to uh, Turkey on the other side, and in so doing, create this kind of uh, Turkic super state uh, that is, it's Turkish, it's ethnic, but it's also Muslim, uh, religious, and uh, these Christians are caught in the middle, and almost no one in the world is doing anything about it.
0: All right, we're going to continue our conversation with Robert Nicholson. We're going to talk about what what could be done, what can be done, um, and we're going to ask Robert also uh, just to to tell us about the experience of some of these people who are inside of Azerbaijan's illegal blockade. Um, There are 120,000 Armenian Christians, 30,000 children. What are they experiencing uh, in this eight months of blockade? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. 150 million people, 150 million people Actively use one particular app every month in the United States of America. I want that to be the Faith Radio app. How about you? If you're wondering how you could be encouraged in your faith at any time, anywhere, well, I got good news for you. There's literally an app for that. You can listen to Faith Radio live, any show on demand, no matter where you are at any time of the day or night. Download the free Faith Radio app right now. It's super easy. Just text the word APP to 877-933-2484 and click the link. Let's connect faith to life. We're talking with Robert Nicholson from the Philos Project, also of Providence Magazine. You can find um, part of what we're talking about today at ProvidenceMag.com talking about what is happening to the Christians of Armenia, um, those that are in Azerbaijan, and Azerbaijan has illegally blockaded 120,000 Armenian Christians, 30,000 of them children. Um, Robert, what is the condition of the people on the ground? Who is on the ground helping, and how can we help?
1: Well, the conditions have gotten... Very bad. Obviously, they started badly, but they've gotten worse and worse. I just mentioned that the the International Red Cross, which was able to get some supplies through this blockade, uh, has since been been blocked inside. You are finding um, food, the shelves, you know, in grocery stores, empty. A lot of videos online that you could see about this. Uh, The water supply is going one of the worst situations involves medical treatment medical supplies there have been a lot of women who have been pregnant who have lost their children due to their malnutrition and the inability of them to get the proper care and don't forget that in the meantime since this blockade has been lifted uh, or has it been imposed there have been parents separated from children husbands separated from wives everybody got stuck wherever they were last December when this blockade was imposed and people inside feel like no one in the world cares about them. And that, in addition to all the physical de- deprivation, is, is adding a kind of mental and emotional despair. And the videos coming out from inside this territory, it's called uh, Nagorno-Karabakh, are, are just really, really sad. Now, as to what we can do about it. Uh, we have all the tools at our disposal as Americans. This is one of the beauties of being the United States for all of our flaws, for all of our perceived decline in the world. We actually can do a lot with very little. One thing that 's important to point out is that these Armenians are not asking for uh, you know military handouts they're not they 're not looking for money they 're looking for us to use our influence and because Azerbaijan is an ally of the united states as is turkey its partner in imposing this blockade we have the u.s president has quite a bit of leverage over these two parties i've said before this is the kind of thing that president biden if he so chose could settle with a phone call um, believe it or not Uh, but even short of that we give azerbaijan uh, quite a bit of aid military and otherwise and there is legislation on the books that already allows us every year to assess whether Azerbaijan is using what we give it for uh, you know, causing harm to others, and, and specifically Armenians. And that provision allows us in that moment, if we see that they are in fact using it to harm others, to withhold. And that really doesn't take a lot of effort. We're not talking about you know, the kind of effort we're seeing in Ukraine or what we saw in Afghanistan or Iraq. We're talking about withholding what we're already giving, and we're talking about using diplomacy. The Biden administration is leading a kind of peace talk between Armenia and Azerbaijan, but it's, uh, it's weak sauce. We are not calling it for what it is. We're letting Azerbaijan get away with a lot more than we should and uh, it's time to put our foot down. These people are aggressing against no one, they're causing a threat to no one, and uh, I think it's our duty to preserve one of the last bastions of Christianity in this part of the world.
0: Uh, So, Robert, um, assume that I don't know anything about influencing um, the Biden administration in terms of this kind of conversation you know like I'm a very average american um what what do i do like if this is something that i want to become active about i'm going to i'm certainly going to be praying i'm certainly going to be supporting ministries in the region um but like as a citizen of the united states which has this diplomatic power like how do i influence that
1: well there is in fact a mechanism for doing that and it's the uh the democratic process. So there are uh, – there's one uh, resolution that's currently being discussed in the U.S. Congress. It was uh, co-sponsored by Senator Marco Rubio and uh, Padilla. And it's, uh, it's a resolution, which means it's uh, it doesn't have the kind of teeth that a regular bill does when it becomes law. But it's something of a shot across the bow in a in a message to Azerbaijan that we're we're not going to sit here and let this happen forever. It it declares what's happening uh a uh an illegal act and threatens that the United States will use all the things that, that I just mentioned. That legislation, Rubio Padilla uh resolution is something that can be talked about, right? It sounds trite, but you out there listening, all of you, men, women, old, young, you have the ability to influence the U.S. government from wherever you, wherever it is that you're sitting. And by phoning into your representative, to your senator's office, you are um, actually moving the process, believe it or not. If you can get your neighbor, your friend to do the same and say, listen, this Rubio Padilla legislation that's uh, being discussed right now, you should support it as, as one of your constituents that's something that, that I'm asking of you. It, what you don't know is that these offices actually keep track of these things. They make tally marks. Okay, uh, boss, we got 10 calls today for the Rubio Padilla legislation. We got eight yesterday. seems like there's some kind of trend here. And once they notice those kinds of trends, legislators, they take action. They want to stay in office. They want to respond to their constituents. And that those kinds of phone calls, while they seem small, are actually quite effective, especially when you do them in the aggregate.
0: All right. So if you're looking for that, um, you can actually find it um, may- maybe most easily at uh, Armenian Weekly. Senators Padilla and Rubio launched bipartisan bill condemning Azerbaijan's blockade and demanding um, sanctions. So this uh, resolution would seek to break the blockade, end U.S. military um, aid, um in the meantime and send emergency aid in into the region. So um I found it simply by Googling Rubio, Padilla, Armenia. Yeah, it just all comes up. It's not it's not hard to find. So encourage it's not you to, hard to in, find. <laughs> Yeah. Encourage yeah, it's not hard to find if you're looking, but like sometimes Robert, we have to be told where to look. And so thank you. Um thank you for alerting us. Um we do get Easily distracted. There is a lot going on in the world. Thank you for the reminder that when, um, when we are distracted by many things, bad things do happen, and um, that's right. And people, precious people, are um, are lost in the midst of it. So, um, thank you for what you do each and every day at the Philos Project. Thank you for um, just your partnership in the gospel for so many years and in so many ways. We we appreciate you.
1: Thank you, Carmen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You can find Robert Nicholson and what we talked about today at ProvidenceMag.com. If you want direct links, just uh, just text me, 877-933-2484, and I'll shoot those texts out to you. You can always email me, Carmen, at MyFaithRadio.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Ooh, all right. Um, When you think about... The posture of your local church. All right, so I want you to get, get your local church in mind here for just a minute. Do you feel like your church is playing like I'm going to use some football terms here? You feel like your church is playing offense, like you're you're positively moving forward. You've got a strategy to you know advance the gospel, uh, you know, in a, in a positive direction, or do you feel like your church is on the defense? Now, I want to bring one particular maybe cultural issue into view here, and that would be the topic of race, Um, the relations between people whose skin tones are different. And when you think about that particular issue, is your church, your local congregation, on the offense, like, positively advancing the conversation, positively demonstrating what the kingdom of God looks like, positively um, on the offense, or on this particular topic of race, is your local church playing defense? In fact, have you arrived at a place of defensiveness? You don't even know how to talk about these things. In fact, you avoid these conversations. Well, we are going to lean into this conversation with Brian Leritis. Um, The it's not offensive church. The it's the church on the offense. So the offensive church. Um, Brian Laritz will be here in just a moment, and we're going to talk about how to get out there on our front foot as the church. And yeah, we're going to talk about how to respond when somebody takes offense. That's it next here on Mornings with Carmen. <music> Dr. Brian Laritz is on the pastoral team at Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, with our friend J.D. Greer, who you hear every day here on Summit Life. Uh, Dr. Loritz is uh, is um, dedicated. I mean, he's just really, he's dedicated to seeing the multi-ethnic church become our new normal uh, as God's people. Um, he's a part of the leadership team of the SEND Network, which is a church planting um, the Part of the Southern Baptist Convention, um, but I you know people are involved in the sin Network from all varieties who are just like interested in um, being a part of what God is doing in in terms of planting churches that have a real heart to be the church in the ways that we talk about frequently here um, on the show so exciting to have Dr. Loritz with us today. Um, the book is not the offensive church, but the offensive church. So, getting the church out here on the front foot, on the offense. Brian, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
2: Carmen, it is so good being with you. Uh, it's been a minute, uh, <laughs> but let me just say that the title of the book is actually a double entendre: offensive, offensive. So, it's however you want to, however you want to pronounce it.
0: Yeah. So we like to play with words here, and so thank you for getting us thinking about this particular word. Um, I'd like to start with the end in mind, like let people know where we're headed, cast the vision or what is the biblical vision for ethnic unity?
2: Yeah, I wrote the book, Carmen, because I feel like when it comes to a lot of issues, but particularly the race conversation, I feel like we're constantly playing defense, you know, so um, a traumatic national racial event happens, it'll kind of grab our attention All of a sudden, you know, um, I got people hitting me up, pastors, what should I say and what should I read? And uh, it's great stuff, but when the news cycle dies down, uh, kind of our interest dies down, uh, only to have it peak uh, with the next event. So we kind of rise and fall. So we're always reacting, always responding. So I wanted to uh, provide a handbook on some practical things we can do to play offense. In fact, that's how Jesus pictured the church in Matthew 16. He said, upon this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And it's interesting, gates guard, gates play defense. And so Jesus postures hell as being on the defensive and his church on the offensive. And so this is what it looks like to proactively lead as it relates to the race conversation.
0: So first of all, it's Jesus's church. That's worth noting. He's building it. He's still building it. Um, He's not done with it yet. Like, I think all of those are positive affirmations um, about a forward leaning, advancing project. Like the church is not in retreat. It's not in decline. It local congregations are, and we experience them that way. But the church, big C, which finds its expression in small C congregations, like it's Jesus's church and it's on the
2: move. Absolutely. And, you know, even what we call decline, maybe a better word would be pruning. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I kind of look at what's been happening in recent years. Yes, there's a lot of people who are, you know, this is a popular term, uh, that's been added to the cultural lexicon as far as people deconstructing their faith and mm-hmm. I think yes we should fight to you know answer questions and hold on to people but I also think what God's been doing is he's been pruning his church and positioning us for greater uh fruitful harvest uh, coming down the road
0: all right if you are listening right now and you're like i I need help with this I have a receptive Heart, I want to be engaged in this conversation. I don't exactly know how. Um, we do have copies of uh, of offensive church to give away today. You you know that you know the drill. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Again, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, you say in the book that uh, most people need a shepherd, not a prophet on this particular topic of ethnic unity or um, multi uh, multi-ethnic congregations. but there's three kinds of people: the ready, the resistant, and the reluctant. Who are they, and which group are we really addressing here in this conversation?
2: Yeah, so those three categories, the ready, the uh, the reluctant, and the resistant, I actually take that from Jesus' well-known conversation he has in John chapter 4 with a woman at the well. Uh, And so this woman is a Samaritan woman, um, and there is the resistant crowd. Uh, We know them to be, at that time, uh, Orthodox Jews, because Orthodox Jews would not even go into Samaria. They would go around it. Uh, They saw them as being so deplorable uh, that they just didn't want to interact with them. And so they avoided them altogether. This is kind of a quality of the resistant uh, people. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to deal with it. Uh, We don't even want to hear about it. Kind of the mantra of the resistant crowd is, can we just preach the gospel as if the gospel doesn't have very real practical racial implications. They want to go around the subject just like Orthodox Jews did. Um, On the other side is the ready. I think Jesus models that for us in the conversation that he has with the woman in Samaria. He actually goes to Samaria, sits down at a well, and engages relationally with this woman. The ready, um, these are individuals who understand that the best way— Uh, into this conversation is not an ideological argument over critical race theory or being woke, but it's relationally. It's sitting with one another. It's listening. It's hearing one another's stories. And then the reluctant, I think, are actually the disciples. Uh, Jesus brings his disciples with him. Uh, They're all Jews. Uh, They grew up in very orthodox homes, which means they were taught uh, to avoid those that they deem to be ceremonially unclean. Jesus knew that they weren't ready for that conversation just yet. They would be ready. We see this in the book of Acts. Uh, so he sends them away to get to get food. They're, they're near it. They're not engaged in it. And this is the reluctant. I think in the conservative evangelical church, the bulk of the people uh, would fall in the reluctant crowd. And so really this book is for everybody, but it's specifically for those who who have questions, you may be in the ready, you just don't know how, or you may be reluctant. You're open, but you're cautious, and you're trying to kind of make your way into this conversation, and so this book you'll find helpful.
0: Brian, I'm aware that um, a number of my uh, friends whose skin is darker than mine, um, they're kind of exhausted by this whole conversation and they think that um we all ought to be more fully up to speed um more full, more more ready than we have been um and then they encounter some people who um think they're totally ready and they actually do more harm than um certainly than they intend but more harm than good because they press so hard um in particular ways that you know that that aren't winsome. Can you just, you just talk about kind of where we are in, in, in all of that. Um, I know I'm not asking a very good question, but I hope you're getting a sense of what I'm oh, trying no. to
2: No, I get it. I get it for sure. The fatigue is real. <clears throat> and there's a lot of historical reasons for that. Um, I think you use good words like exhausted, uh, fatigued, tired. Those are very real words. Um, my work is that of being a pastor. And Paul says in Colossians chapter one, that he labors to bring everyone into maturity. And I think about the implications of that. If if the work of pastoral ministry is helping to bring people from immaturity to maturity, then what that presupposes is several things. One, I, I have to assume immaturity among the people that I lead. Two, I have to assume that one of the areas of immaturity, especially in an American context, is in the area of race relations. And this isn't just for one particular group of people. I think that's for all of us. You find immature people of every hue, every ethnicity when it comes to this conversation. Therefore, when I assume immaturity in pastoral ministry, there's a measure of patience that I have Mm. to have. And let me let me say this last thing, Carmen. Uh, one of the points that I make in the book is um, that I am a reconciler, not so much an activist. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important that we make the, the the difference. Activists are needed. Praise God for activists. It's because of activists during the civil rights movement that I, as a black man, have incredible opportunities and privileges afforded to me that I would not have had if it was not for their activism. But Activists tend to be issue driven. They're focused on the what? Reconcilers take it a step further. Reconcilers tend to be people driven. They're focused on the who and the how. And so at the end of the day, I I don't just want to talk about pick any issue, uh, affirmative action or reparations or whatever. I, At the end of the day, I'm interested in relationships and in seeing reconciliation happen. The Bible calls it restitution. And in the Bible, you dealt with restitution in order to repair the relationship. Activists tend to stop at the restitution part. Reconcilers pick up the trail and go, no, we actually want Reconciled relationships among the people. So this book is about reconciliation.
0: That's so good. I'm taking. I'm. I'm taking notes. I'm taking notes. We're going to continue our conversation with Brian Loretz here in just a moment. Um, I hope that what he just told you about himself as a reconciler gives you a sense of the spirit of the offensive church. That's the book. Um, that we 're talking about breaking the cycle of ethnic disunity we 're giving away copies today text the word book to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four when you look around when you look around in your local congregation, how ethnically diverse is it I mean we certainly recognize that if we if we have the heart of God um, on this matter, we know we stand on equal footing at creation at the cross and in the kingdom of heaven um, does our local, does your local church reflect that? Does my local church reflect that? Um, certainly the church that Jesus is building reflects that. So what does it look like to do our part to um, bring down the dividing walls of hostility between us in this generation? More with Brian Laritz next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit myfaithradio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Brian Loritz is here with us this morning. We're talking about his new book, The Offensive Church or The Offensive Church. Little word play there Breaking the Cycle of Ethnic Disunity. Uh, and we're giving away copies. So text the word book to 877-933-2484 to get into that drawing. Um, I love uh, I love this quote from the book. Um, I am convinced the path to ethnic unity must be entered through the relational door, not the ideological one. Growth in ethnic unity will not happen when we spar over our positions regarding critical race theory, reparations, affirmative action and the like. But when we lock arms with one another in rich conversation and relationship, much like Jesus did with the Samaritan woman at the well, John chapter four. Um, Brian, that requires proximity. I cannot lock arms with you um, from a distance. So can we talk about proximity?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's... um... It used to be a thing where we would have to work really, 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 really hard to find people of different ethnicities around us. And in some places and pockets, that is true. Uh, But God is literally bringing the nations to us uh, here in America. And so, you know, recent data says that the average community that a church sits in is actually 10 times more diverse than that church and the actual schools in the community that the church sits in is 20 times more diverse than the church and let me just say this on record it's a point i make in the book i don't believe every church should be multi-ethnic not at all i do think every church should reflect its community Uh, and so what drives the multi-ethnic church isn't ideology it's not politics it's not sociology it's missiology it's just the gospel greed to see everybody not just a certain pocket or demographic but to see everybody in my surrounding community come to know the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why we're passionate about it here at the Summit Church. Uh, we've got 15 campuses in the Raleigh-Durham area, and but Raleigh-Durham is 65% white, 35% uh, minority. And so when people at our church ask us, why are we passionate about this? We just say, hey, we just want our sanctuaries to look like our mission field. And so uh, geographically, um, we're we're becoming more and more diverse, which means proximity is becoming easier from a geographic standpoint. But we still have to exercise some intentionality, and that intentionality really begins with uh, with deep listening to one another. Uh, it's being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Um, it's it's really taking cues from how Jesus engaged the woman at the well, um, and. What I've discovered is the last thing I'll say. What I've discovered as I'm engaging a person of a different ethnicity, it's not that they change my mind or change my convictions. Uh, However, they they tend to soften them. There's something about doing life with a person who sees it differently that softens the rough edges that you had prior to meeting them.
0: I wonder how much of this um, is generational like there's a part of me that looks at like i don't even have to look very far into the next generation and there is just naturally so much more ethnic diversity than there is i mean i'm 55 and it's it's like you know those of us in in my quote-unquote generation and those who are older than me like we we can think we do think in majority minority terms i'm not sure that my kids even think that way they they live uh, uh, among a much more nuanced, blended crowd in every environment. Um, they don't see borders and boundaries the same way, and they certainly don't see ethnicities the same way. I mean, their friends are half this, half that, a quarter this, a quarter this, a quarter. I mean, like, it's a, you know, it's, do, do you see what I'm saying? Like, is it possible Absolutely. we will naturally move Forward in this conversation,
2: in some ways, yes. So I, you know, I look at the younger generations, and I'm I'm just filled with profound hope. I mean, even as we watch the protests and the aftermath of George Floyd, you know, were there some things that were wrong with the protests? Yes, you know, violence. Uh, there's never an excuse for that. Uh, But on the other hand, uh, those protests by and large were multi-ethnic, multi-racial. And I think that was a beautiful thing. I think my challenge with the younger generation, as much as they seem to have much more of a justice bent, um, is I'm a little bit concerned that they're being shaped by a worldview of tolerance. And Mm. the Christian is not called to tolerance. We're called to love. Tolerance is Mm. such a low ethic, Carmen. Mm. I tolerate you. Uh, love flies at a much higher altitude. And so what love says is um, I, I'm not going to go the way of colorblindness. Um, I I, I want to see the differences. I want to appreciate the differences. Um, I, I want to, where appropriate and looking at things through a gospel lens, not just a cultural lens, I want to be able to challenge um, unredemptive differences like ethnic idolatry. Uh, but at the same time, I want to be able to embrace you and receive you, even though even though there are areas of your life that I may not approve, I still want to accept you. Um, and so I think that's the challenge with the younger generation. And of course, that works in a million different ways that we don't have time to get into. But I would just challenge this younger generation to move beyond an, an ethic of tolerance and into the the biblical posture
1: of love.
0: That is so good. That is so good. I'm making a clip of that. I don't know how long it was, but I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm putting a note in uh, in for a clip of that. Um, I hope you'll come back. I I wanna uh, I wanna follow up on this, even just this last point of the conversation, when you say not going the way of colorblindness, there's definitely people listening right now that are thinking to themselves, I thought that's what I was supposed to be. So like, I know you've had that conversation a million times. It'd be helpful for us to have <laughs> it here. Yeah, um. Yeah. The, sure. the, the note that we really do want to see differences, not blur them. Um. I love, I mean, I want to challenge ethnic idolatry. Well, I want to talk about what that is. Like, what does that even look like? I mean, I just, just so that's, that's, all of those are really, really that's helpful language. Um, we appreciate you. We obviously love our uh, relationship with Summit um, and appreciate the ministry of Summit Life that we broadcast here on the Faith Radio Network. So thank you, Brian, for being with us today. Thank you for what you do every single day um, at Summit Church.
2: Well, thank you, Carmen, for having me. Uh, it, this has been a joy, and I hope to come back.
0: Yeah, likewise, likewise. We also want to talk with you at some point about church planting because there's definitely people listening who are saying to themselves, you know, there's a— uh, there is." There's a church on every corner in my community, and they need people. And so, why are we planning new churches? And I know you have a really good answer to that question. So, oh, uh, I got some thoughts back? on
2: that for sure.
0: I know. Yes. Will you come absolutely. back and talk about all those things? Okay, fantastic. That's uh, yes. that's Dr. Brian uh, Laritz. He's going to be back. We've we've now we've now got him committed. The book is the offensive church or the offensive church, depending on how you frame it. Breaking the cycle of ethnic disunity. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right, take a deep breath. Yeah, I know, I said that earlier, but do it again. Take a deep breath. All right, so we are gonna be God's people out there in the world today. We're gonna be a provisional demonstration of the gospel. That is who you are. That is what you are sent forth to do. By the grace of God, you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. God has a plan for the day. He has some divine appointments set. He has some God moments he is inviting you into. You have been prepared in advance for those. You have everything that is necessary for the accomplishing of God's will in and through you today. You are ready. So now get set, take a deep breath, and go. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.